0: Welcome to CISO's Insider's Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Welcome, everybody. Today, I'll be speaking with Praj. Uh, you can, you'll have an opportunity to, uh, you know, uh, pronounce your full name in a minute, but uh, because I can't do it, but uh, you know, just looking back at your bio right now, I'm, I'm seeing that you start off as, uh, as an auditor. Um, held a, a couple of positions uh, as a compliance analyst, risk management as well. Uh, for a time, I, I noticed that you were the VP of uh, technology risk uh, over at the Bank of America. And right now, I believe that you're the director of information security, uh, I'm sorry, information risk and internal controls over at Horizon Media. Uh, if you could step in and to properly introduce yourself, that would be great.
1: Thanks so much, Ben. Hi, everybody. My name is Praj. My full name is Prachakti, but you don't have to worry about it. Praj is good. Um, I am, uh, I currently head the information risk and internal controls team at Horizon Media, which I have kind of built from scratch. So I'm a director there and I'm uh, a direct report of our CISO. And I've worked in this field for about 18 years, give or take. Uh, you know, computer science graduate, and then got into, like Ben said, the audit piece of things earlier on in my career. And you know, did Ernst and & Young, and then transitioned on to risk. And I've worked at a couple of uh, big banks like Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, and for the last five years, I've been at Horizon Media, kind of building their entire governance, risk, compliance, information risk—just different names for the same program. Basically, the technology risk program from scratch that I
0: currently manage. Okay, thank you for that introduction, Praj. And as I've mentioned to you, this uh, the, the the objective really of this podcast is basically to learn more about you and your journey and whatever um, you know, uh, sharing of experience that you would be able to do that could benefit our listeners would be greatly appreciated. With that in mind, I always like to start off with a couple of uh, icebreaker questions. Uh, What's your marital status, if that's something that you're willing to share, and your favorite drink?
1: Yeah, sure. I'm married, and I have a wonderful, supportive husband who works in technology, and a six-year-old boy who's about to go into first grade. And he keeps me very busy outside of work, um, but I love it. And yeah, my favorite drink, I I do love all things champagne and champagne-based cocktails, especially rosé champagne in in the summer. Um, so yeah, that's, there you go.
0: Okay. Thank you. And, you know, uh, looking at your journey, um, let's dive right in. If there's one thing you wish you you knew when you began your career, what would that be?
1: So I think I would say one thing I wish I knew when I, um, began my career is, is to speak up more, uh, to not hesitate to share ideas because it's so overwhelming when you, when you start your career journey. And it's 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 overwhelming is really the word that I'm looking for. It's so overwhelming to be able to share ideas and to wonder whether they are necessary, whether they're going to create an impact. So I think that I wish I had, it's not something that you didn't know per se, but I wish that I had had more encouragement and more um, looking back. I wish that I had done, had the courage to do more collaboration, more innovation, sharing more ideas. Um, as I was learning things because that's a little bit difficult in the first uh, part of your career before you, you know, reach a position where you feel like your ideas may be appreciated. Mm
0: -hmm. And do you feel there's a reason why you didn't speak up more?
1: Um, I wouldn't say one particular reason, but I think especially for this field, right, it was a very new field when I got into this field 18, 20 years back, almost all of my Um, colleagues or friends who were computer science graduates were were getting programming jobs. So I took this path of, you know, I got my master's degree and I wanted to do something that has its roots in technology, but it seemed like it was more analytical rather than actually programming. And I think that there was a lot of questions about the career itself, about the field, where is it going to go? And uh, it just wasn't sort of, there wasn't as much guidance as there is now in order for young people that had just entered the career to to like speak up. Like I often joke about this with one of my friends who's a partner at ENY and we feel like we were in college when we were at ENY. So we feel like we're like the batch of ENY 2007 because all of us kind of learned and grew almost with this career. So I think that was, it was a very new field.
0: Got it. Thank you and uh, looking back what would you say your biggest failure was and what did you learn from it
1: so um i think that failure is a part of your career i think it's very important to embrace failure in the sense that you're always going to have small failures at work you can be the highest you know top most performing uh employee and you will still have small failures so I would I would like to kind of tweak this question in the sense that instead of pinpointing like one biggest failure, I would say I'll give you a couple of small examples where you know I felt that I there was a lot to learn from, but I almost normalized them to be a part of the learning and the growth, right? So for example, um, when I first started at Horizon Media, I had not negotiated for um, new vendor contracts or kind of you know bought on tools like now. I've now in my fifth year. I'm a pro at negotiation, um, so that was something like that in my first year was very hard for me. That was something that I I couldn't, you know, draw the line between being a hardline negotiator to vendors versus I mean, obviously, I wanted to balance our budgets, but you know, that is such a big sort of deep. Uh, I don't want to use the word deep dark hole, but it is a very vague and big area where people you know you you really don't know what the actual price for the tool is because there's so many vendors out there so many tools out there so I think that there was a lot that I learned from in that and now I'm a pro at it so there was there was other things like when I transitioned from audit to risk I think that that was that was hard because it was a shift in mindset even though there are two sides of the same coin um it took me some time to understand how now from an independent auditor, now I'm going to become more of a partner to technology. There's that. There's also, you know, investing time in building relationships that I think that early on in in my career, I was very focused on the technology and learning the craft. But as I, you know, I grew into the career. Now, I believe that it's extremely important to build those relationships in the company because especially in a leadership role, I think a lot of my work rests on the foundation of those relationships so i would say not none of them is like a big failure but i would say that these were all learning lessons that you know i took some time to learn and took them in my stride and um definitely turned them into a success
0: mm-hmm. okay thank you for that it's very uh comprehensive and what would you say your? i don't want to use the word biggest but what was like one of your uh, you know biggest or largest accomplishments were
1: I think that um, you know I've had a few along the way that I've had a you know leadership award at Comcast. I have kind of always turned from from a KRR perspective. I've always produced metrics that are favorable to reduction of risk. So from a professional standpoint, I think there's a couple. But when I was hired by Horizon Media, the CISO was hired just about eight eight to twelve months before I was hired and. When, when I first talked to him, he said, look, I have hired you because you have the experience of, you know, being at Morgan Stanley and Bank of America, and, and I, I'm looking at you to build this program. So it was a completely sort of green playing field. There was absolutely nothing there. And I'm very proud to say that I have built that program over the past five years completely from scratch. It's now a full-blown risk program. We're hiring, we're growing. We have four pillars of it. And... I've done it in a way that has suited the culture of the organization. So I've not made enemies along the way while building it. I have done it in the way that I've collaborated with other uh, tech leaders. I have done it in a way that, again, marries um, the culture of the organization with strat strategy and other goals. So I'm pretty proud of it. It's like my little baby. Um, and I would say the other sort of, thing that I'm proud of is, is my foresight for kind of going into the field because even 10 years back when I was in IT audit and I started feeling like I, I needed to innovate more, I think that going into the technology risk field was perhaps one of the best moves of my career because I, I feel like I love it. I I love cybersecurity. I love being close to technology, but I love the analytical aspect of being in governance and risk. and you know, matting security to it.
0: So I think, yeah, those two. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, you know, let's touch a bit more about that. You mentioned uh, that you appreciate uh, your insight into... Where you should be going next, like like ten years ago, and I, I know a, a lot of like young professionals in the field right now, you know, are wondering how to either how to you know get into the field or or advance the field, and as you as you will know, there are so many you know aspects and niches in this field you I mean you could be a SOC analyst you could you could start off as a SOC analyst you could start off as a consultant you can start off as an auditor what would your advice be for someone wanting to pursue a career sooner to yours
1: sure so I think that specifically to tech, you know my, my career which is the technology risk um, cyber security technology audit and I would say the, the first advice is that make sure your technology is strong. Like you understand technology, build on those, those scales because when you have conversations with leadership, you wanna make sure you can speak their language. You want that, that is the first and foremost thing that a technology risk um, cybersecurity leader needs to be able to have conversations and gain the trust of management. So that's the first thing. Um, second thing is definitely join organizations where education is a focus, so obviously consulting firms are the obvious choice for, you know, being able to learn because there's a plethora of information there. I worked at Ernst Young myself and I just said like it, it was almost like another college for us. We learned so much and there was so much information available and uh, most of my colleagues that I worked with are all, you know, either leaders you know, heading departments or partners at Princeton Young and that that foundation, the strong foundation really helped us. So I would say definitely look at that when you pick your next job, look at the focus on education that the organization has. If it's not consulting, you know, what are the opportunities they offer for you to uh, learn these things, to take courses, to go for conferences. I think those things are important early on in your career. Um, to stay abreast of that and, and network with your peers and colleagues to understand what else is going on um, and build on it, like attend those conferences, um, get those certifications and keep sort of progressing in a way that you have your goal in mind, you're building it, because there's, like you said, there's different ways that you can progress this. You can either become a consulting partner or have a have the goal to become a consulting partner or stay purely in public accounting on the stock side of things or go into the more risk side of things, to the more CISO track of the cybersecurity side of things. So as you sort of grow, um, keep that in mind and make sure that you tailor your education and your learning to the track that seems more appealing to you.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. And uh, I know that you've probably been in some organizations where the CISO role is actually separated from the IT organization, but I'm sure that you are familiar with that, uh, you know, long debate about where a CISO should be placed in an organization. What are your feelings about the role of the CISO that's actually a part of the IT organization?
1: So I personally believe that the CISO role should not be placed under the CIO role and it should be an independent role. Uh, Some of the advantages of that or the reasons why I believe that is while the CISO is obviously very integrated into the technology organization, um, their track considering that it, it heavily involves governance, risk compliance, data privacy does, need to be sort of almost like a liaison between the business and the technology and provide that partnership to the business as well because technology is providing us infrastructure but the CISO organization is providing the security that sits on top of the infrastructure in order to make sure that the business can meet its goals in a secure and effective manner without the organization actually suffering losses and, and data losses and so on and so forth so I think that it's very important for the CISO to have that uh, line with the business in order to, to build value on that program from a business perspective. And sometimes that gets a little washed out when the CISO reports to the technology organization uh, because, because the budgets are different, the priorities are different. Definitely the CIO is a, is a very, very big partner for the CISO, uh, but I think that it is it is, It is better for the CISO's organizational goals to be more aligned with the business goals and partner with the technology organization. Uh, There is also, you know, sometimes the CISOs do report to the CTOs and there's a CIO and a CTO. So I've seen that as well. That's kind of a middle between the two where, you know, they're still connected to the technology organization. They have some of the operational side of security under them. So they are, It's more related to security, but they do have some operational IT roles under them. Uh, And then at the same time, being a CISO, they have a line into the business and the CEOs. Some organizations also have a CRO role, which is a chief risk officer role. And CISOs sometimes report into that role, which again is is a great idea as well, because it, it, it it plays a big role into creating a culture of risk top down. So the CISO has that support in order to be able to create that top-down risk culture and get the funding and show that he's adding value to his organization through that role. So I am of the opinion that it is better for the CISO to be independent from the technology group and partner with them rather than report to them.
0: Okay, thank you. There, there, there are definitely two schools of thoughts about that, um, but yeah, appreciate your point of view. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and you know, wh- you've spoken about uh, like the the merits of uh, education, of uh, going into you know industry conferences and whatnot. And as someone such as yourself, that you know, you, I'm I'm assuming, and I know that you constantly grow. You constantly you, you have to you have to keep on your you have to keep on your feet in in terms of uh, like what you learn and like new regulations, new GRC uh, programs out there. In your opinion, like or Actually, let me rephrase that. What are the, the best uh, resources or things that have helped you, you know, better educate yourself and prepare yourself?
1: So I think there are some really good certifications out there for this field. There's a CISA, the CISM, the CRESC, uh, there's a CISSP. So I think those are very, very, very strong certifications that can give you a really good uh, sort of foundation for this career. I still believe in the traditional, you know, ISACA, flyers and and, uh, magazines. I mean, the magazines are all online, obviously, cyber magazines. I still believe in in those and subscribe to those. LinkedIn has become a very big resource now of um, information sharing. And I'm a part of a large number of sort of cybersecurity, uh, GRC groups on LinkedIn, where there's a lot of good information being shared. Um, If you are part of a consulting company or especially a big four, Um, I also do subscribe to a lot of like EVA alumni stuff. Um, So those are some of the resources that I use. Obviously conferences are still there. I'm actually presenting on how to build a high value risk program at a GRC conference in September that I'll be attending as well. So I think the traditional ways of attending conferences obviously exist, but um, yeah, I think I covered quite a few of them. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Um, And uh, so but, you know, you focus uh, a lot about uh, certifications as well in your answer. Yeah. Do you think, because again, there's uh, two schools of thoughts about right. that as well. There's like, you know, those professionals who don't want to hear about certifications and then there's right. those who do believe the, the, in them. But in your opinion, because you, you mentioned like CISA, CISM, CIRISC, and CISSP. Yeah. So, you know, some of them are meant for auditors, managers, and yeah. others are very technical, like the CISSP. Like... If I'm a noob in the industry and I'm just getting started, what yeah. would your recommendation be? Like, what should I pursue first, in your opinion?
1: I would, I would say nothing until you're about five years in, um, because I would, I would want to. It, it's no point getting all the certifications, right? So I would wait and learn and understand where your liking lies or where your strength lies and what you're aiming to pursue. So for example, if you're aiming to pursue more of the audit track, which will lead you to more, you know, doing stocks audits and stock work and stuff like that, then pursue the CISA. If you're looking to pursue more of the cyber security track where you want to stay open to doing more operational security tasks as well, or we just created a, a new role for, um security operations where the person needs to have understanding of the risk involved, but they're doing more of the daily sort of operational tasks related to that, that then pursue your CISSP. If you want to stay in more of the technology risk and grow in that field, um, then pursue the C-RISK or the CISM, obviously, if you have enough experience eventually and want to enter the managerial phase so it really does depend on how you want to carve your career out within the like big realm of cybersecurity or governance risk and compliance and i think it would be really helpful um, to to have a mentor and have someone kind of guide you through that and for you to stay aware of what your strengths are and what your what you like before you before you pick that but after you do decide and kind of pick that Um, I think they do go a long way into strengthening your knowledge and adding to that resource pool.
0: Got it. Yeah, that's pretty good advice, to be honest. Uh, I do agree with you on that. Um, Was there any one common myth about uh, our space, the cybersecurity and compliance space that you wanted to debunk?
1: Yeah, of course that it's a cost center, <laughs> that's always the case, right? Everyone looks at the CISO organization or especially the you know, the, the risk and cybersecurity space as a cost center. And I think that th- that truly is a myth because while this organization doesn't make any revenue for the organization, with its absence, the organization is slated to lose a lot of revenue. So I think the business impact is, indirect because it's, it's obviously not you know creating revenue for the business, but it is basically providing business the single most important foundation for their clients to trust the business. And by clients, I can mean internal stakeholders or outside clients, but you cannot trust a particular business technology unless it's built on a foundation of strong cybersecurity principles. And that's going to prevent you know your data from being breached your technology from being protected your applications from being strong your controls from being strong so it's not just about you know the public organizations needing to be compliant with a certain compliance anymore it's about building a strong cybersecurity and risk foundation that is going to indirectly help make your technology not just more secure but also efficient in the in the long run because you're not wasting time fixing issues that have risen from lack of controls. So, but, but this is a complex area. So I think traditionally, everyone believes, oh my God, I don't want to spend money in this because I would rather put this money into something that can make me more money. Yeah. But in the long run, this is going to save you money and make you more money. And I'm seeing this because, you know, in organ- I've seen this in organizations where, you know, clients have asked for certain things and then, then money will be, Kind of churned and put into the cybersecurity roles and while that's great that it's eventually happening it, it we have and we've come a long way from it not completely not happening i think we have a long way to go where it it becomes almost like another function like a finance function not an accounting function like you wouldn't imagine setting up a yeah. business without those, and that is where we need to get to eventually.
0: Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I mean, it, it's becoming a profession, whereas, you know, it's very easy to explain for, you know, uh, let's say VP sales, the importance of having, you know, a CRM implemented and building like a r- related processes around sales and, and pre-sales and all that. Uh, I think it's becoming easier right now with, uh, with information security, with cybersecurity and compliance, because businesses nowadays, understand more much more about you know the need of that than if I compare like to 10-15 years ago but there's still some work to to be done uh, for sure. Uh, Now in your opinion and I know you're very close uh, with the CISO role, uh, what are the main concerns in your opinion that CISOs nowadays have in general
1: I think that, you know, the whole phishing and um, kind of, you know, ransomware and, and cyber attacks is, is a huge concern for almost every CISO or even CTOs that I've talked to. There, that is an ongoing thing and that's something that every organization has to fight. And it's a it's a big sort of undertaking, not just from an operational control standpoint to be able to build uh, walls against it, implement sort of detective preventative controls, creating education and awareness. So that's one I would say. Um, And the second is, again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, is the balance of being able to, you know, add add value to the business from this function and being able to sort of keep the lights on in a secure manner. So there's always, you know, that balance that a CISO needs to achieve where you're not adding overhead by making people do certain things or implement certain controls that are going to reduce our risk and make us more secure or make us make our data safe um, but at the same time making sure that that doesn't compromise business efficiency so i think that is like an ongoing thing that I, probably within that realm there's different detailed challenges depending on your business and your organizational culture but that's probably an ongoing thing along with the ransomware and the phishing and data protection
0: okay uh understood and so we've covered like you know in what are the main concerns in your opinion that uh, CISO should have nowadays and uh, obviously when it's in the focus that uh, should be put into whatever it is that they're doing but in your opinion like and we've discussed this uh, briefly about that like the role of the CISO nowadays, and the roles of of any the, the roles of any leadership uh, under the CISO, actually, right. in your opinion, what are the most important skills that these individuals should have? Because I know you mentioned technology, uh, but I'm also hearing like business skills as well and soft skills. Can, can you would you care to elaborate about that?
1: Sure. I think it is very important for the CISO and the individuals under the CISO to have a clear strategic knowledge of where the program needs to go that aligns with organizational culture and business goals. And in order to achieve that, I think there's it, it, there's a couple of things that they need to, sort of the skills that they need to possess to do that. Obviously have a clear strategy, um, build very strong relationships into the business as well as into technology. I think it's very important to get out of the whole auditing mindset, policing mindset, and get into the whole partnership mindset. I think that the CISO and his directs, um, if they can get into a partnership mindset with the business and the technology in a, in a way that they can almost prove that their security practices or risk practices are going to help the business flourish, is I going to make the technology more efficient, that is a win, because that's a cultural win that will help them get support for a lot of the initiatives that they intend to implement so outside of you know the mandates that are posed by government agencies or compliances or anything that the business needs i think that this risk accountability security culture needs to be spread into the organization so that leaders are more open to changing their processes to accommodate you know security things like simple simple example if you know, if someone wants to share PII uh, with their client, right? Um, unless they pick up the phone and involve us, we're not even going to know if it's shared, right? Like if there is no controls implemented. Um, you can implement technical controls. You can prevent them from doing. You can frustrate the clients. But if you, if you work with them to cre- create a partnership with the business leaders, such that we're enabling them to share whatever they want with their clients, but in a safe manner. So we're implementing those controls, but we're enabling the business to do so. I think that is the single most sort of line of thought that the leaders um, who are CISOs or under the CISOs need to come up with. And they have to create a strategy and build their relationships that align with that mm-hmm.
0: So what I'm hearing basically is you saying, you know, that the leadership uh, under the CISO need, all of them need to have you know soft skills business scales as well understand the business work more with the business and you know that's definitely a transition from how the industry you know looked like 10 or 15 years ago but in in your opinion looking at the industry right now where do you think this role of the CISO and uh, and his directs is going in terms of is it going to be more business focused is it going to be more technology focused is anything else in your opinion
1: I think that it's I think that it's going to become more and more important. The role is going to become more and more important, the role of a CISO and his team as organizations get out of the whole compliance mandate focus that we have to comply with talks to how can a security organization help our business grow? Um, this role is going to expand more and more. And I, I definitely see it. Uh, being a key partnership between the business and the CISO and and the technology leaders like a CIO or a CTO or an overlap between between those, I definitely don't see it as some something that is a more siloed technology group that you know business doesn't care about, business doesn't look at. It's like they're doing their thing, you know, they're building security. It doesn't impact us. I definitely see it being a, more of a key partnership and. Uh, something that is going to be a part of an organizational strategy, not just an
0: afterthought. Okay, thank you for clarifying that. Um, And again, looking at the industry in general, I've spoken about the CISO role and the leadership, but in your opinion, what will we see in the cybersecurity world next?
1: This is interesting since this is a relatively new field There is so much innovation going on already. Um, I mean, there's so much innovation going on continuously. I think we will see a lot of automation in terms of, you know, controls monitoring, uh, automated testing of controls. I think we'll definitely see that. Um, we're going to continue to see um, process improvement and tools improvement for data protection. I think data privacy and protection is huge. In the cybersecurity world there's also going to be a lot um of sort of innovation and churn out there in third-party risk management because of you know cloud and the emergence of cloud and every or everything being a third-party provider and your infrastructure is not on-prem anymore so i think there is um huge changes brought about by that and that's going to keep evolving and security as such is going to need to continuously evolve in order to keep up with that whole cloud and third party risk landscape. So we're definitely gonna see some uh, innovations coming out of that space. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, thank you. And in terms of uh, uh, trends and transitions and uh, in regards to budget planning, have you seen a shift in the last couple of years uh, since before or or actually since COVID happened?
1: So, I mean, I would say this is a very organization specific question because, you know, COVID economy was weird and it, it kind of helped some organizations and some businesses and it completely, you know, crushed some organizations and some businesses. Yeah. So there, there's definitely been an impact, but I think it is more organization specific. Um, for those that have, you know, survived or done well or recovered or, or done, you know, better than expected, I'm definitely seeing a shift into, more focused long term on putting more budget into CISO initiatives but for those obviously that didn't didn't survive that wouldn't be the case
0: yeah sure thank you uh now and I know your so your role if I understand correctly it's like the the senior director of uh, responsible for GRC at your company right Uh, And and I know you've mentioned like a couple of things that might uh, be in line with my next question, like uh, security automation, controls automations, but in your opinion, what would you define as innovation in in your space?
1: So I think that, you know, right now, for example, I manage three different tools for three different sort of strategic goals um, that I have in my GRC space. And the, because GRC is such a new field there's no centralization so there's no um you know for example there's there's an identity access management uh sort of tool that's been in the market for these tools have been in the market for a long time and there's centralization in that space where people want to centralize access management right but there's nothing that centralizes GRC as much like there's there's security awareness tools and there's the core GRC risk management tools and there's continuous monitoring tools and there's third party risk management tools and all of that stuff. So I think innovation in this space would be really cool to see some, from a tools perspective would be really cool to see some tools that are actually creating some, some sort of a central you know, GRC uh, leadership tool that encompasses, encompasses all of these things because you know, there's data privacy, there's DLP. There's so many different tools for these things. So I think it would be really cool to bring them under one risk umbrella because essentially all of these tools are helping you manage your organizational risks that emerges from technology. And right now it's highly decentralized. So it would be really cool to see innovation in that space from a tools perspective. And I think that that would be huge. Um, from a on a smaller level, I think that Process innovation is going to continue to keep happening in this field because of the fact that there's going to be more and more alignment or the the GRC concept is going to be more and more embedded into your work. like The work you do, um, just like accounting or access is embedded into the work you do, the GRC concept is going to be more and more embedded into the work you do. Um, And for that, there's gonna be, you know, cultural shift in the organization. I think we're, you know, we have some work to do in that space, but I think there's gonna be more and more innovation to make sure that the processes um, in the organization now consider this, the control and risk uh, mindset, not just because again, we have to be compliant with a certain thing, but because we see that being more efficient.
0: Okay, thank you for that as well. Now, we're coming to the tail end of this episode today, but before I let you go, I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions about uh, my personal favorite vendors. Um, and, I, and I know you must, uh, you must have the, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have the scissors here about that as well. But uh, like in your opinion, what is it a vendor should not be doing? I
1: think that vendors need to focus on customer service as much as they focus on sales. And because this happens way too many times where the vendors are very aggressive into into the sales portion of things, you know, awesome tool, pitches every day, you know, and then once we're done, contract is done and dusted, nobody asks for you. So I think that the customer success piece um, needs to be definitely focused on and it needs to be as strong as the sales pitch because sometimes they have a good product, but even good products can have issues. And I think that the whole management of that and SLAs is is something that I've run into uh, challenges with a lot of vendors. And I think that my strongest vendors are the ones that actually have a really strong sort of customer success element to them. Because again, like I said, every tool, you know, is going to have some strengths and some weaknesses, but if they are able to manage that and align that with our goals, I think that would be really helpful. Um, it's also important for vendors to stay flexible and build on the long-term relationship rather than, you know, you can't do this. Okay, we can't do this. So like, you know, we won't, we won't, we won't do this for you. Nickel and diming you for like little stuff. I think that it's very important. Like, I, one of my strong vendors is is someone that I think I've entered the fourth or the fifth year of contract with, and um, it's a very Innovative tool, albeit it's strong, but it's, um, I mean, albeit it started strong, it started small, but it's a very strong tool and it's a very innovative tool. And I think they have been very flexible with me on my needs as well as what they can provide rather than focusing on the nickeling and diming of people where, you know, their their customer service is not going to give you anything for free and for everything you have to buy stuff. I think it's important to build those relationships and consequently, I've bought more from them. Consequently, I have developed that tool more and more. I'm buying more and more modules. I'm buying more and more professional services. So I think that it's very important to, to focus on quality for vendors.
0: Okay, thank you. Um, Shifting gears here, uh, what are your opinions of, and I know you mentioned the mentors uh, in one of the previous questions, but uh, are there any mentors that you wanna point out or just in general people that you look up to?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been very fortunate in my career to have worked with uh, some really fantastic people. Um, My current CISO is amazing. I definitely look up to him a lot. Um, his name is Richard Aranero. I've learned tremendously from him. I, um, I have a couple of other people. Melissa Ryan, I worked with her in Comcast. Um, she was one of the senior managers there and she's actually now one of my closest friends. Um, again, learned a lot from her and um, there's, there's, there's a bunch of other people in ENY. There's uh, a bunch of other leaders I've looked up to. So I think that there's only some organizations where, where I've had a formal sort of mentor mentee program. I think we need to do better on that and implement that formally across organizations. But I've, all, I've had a lot of leaders that I've either worked for directly or they've been leaders of my department that I've looked up to. Myrna Soto, she was the CISO of Comcast and she's one of the most terrific cybersecurity leaders out there. Um, we've, so I've had, yeah, I've had a chance to, really look up to a bunch of people through my career and I hope to continue that. And I hope to, you know, also be able to be a mentor to some of the um, folks that are coming into this career.
0: Okay. Is that, is that uh, an open invitation, by the way, if any one of our listeners wanted to connect with you? So what would be the best way to connect with you then?
1: Um, I'm on LinkedIn. um, So that is probably the best way to connect with me. And um, I'm always checking my messages there. And uh, I'm also obviously available on email. It's pprayag at horizonmedia.com. And uh, that is the first letter of my first name and the, my last name, P-R-A-Y-A-G. P-R-A-Y-A-G. Um, LinkedIn might be easier, but um, I'm Praj, Prayag Deb on LinkedIn. And um, anybody who wants, you know, advice, any, any questions um, in this role, in their careers, they are more than welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn.
0: Okay. Thank you. Appreciate that. And for one final bonus question, if money was never an issue, what would you do with your life? Hmm,
1: that is interesting. Um, I love reading books and um, I always, uh, you know, at some point I changed my mind into, you know, going into the technology field. But when I was little, I used to always say, um, yeah, I want to write books. So I would probably want to travel and, you know, write books.
0: Okay, travel and write, write books. That's only write or also read, <laughs>
1: read and write. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, uh, great. I mean, travel is definitely up there in in, in you know in yeah. terms of the answers that I'm getting. Uh, writing books, I'm not sure if that's the first one. I did interview one. who uh, oh, actually, published two books already. Maybe more than one. I, I can't remember anyhow. But thank you for that and and again thank you praj i you know just wanted to express my gratitude uh for you carving some time off your busy schedule and joining me here today uh hopeful that your answers would uh, you know help some individuals along the way and yeah thank you
1: awesome yeah no it was my pleasure this was great and uh yeah glad i could i could do this and i had a lot of fun doing it and i really hope like you said that it can help some individuals along the way so Thank you for reaching out and putting it together.
0: Thank you.